Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. We're doing a theme on the kingdom of God and God's purposes for him, for himself and for us. And this morning we're going to talk, or we're going to look at God's purpose to establish his kingdom. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I learned that when I was a young child at school. There were two things that you had to learn at school in Wall's End, where I came from. One was the Lord's Prayer, and the other was the 23rd Psalm. And you learned it by repetition. So it didn't really mean anything much, but it stuck there. So 29 years later, you know, God had his way, if you like, in my life. If you read the Bible, the first book is Genesis. And in that book, God tells us that in the beginning, he created. And it was good. His kingdom, which comprised all of creation, was good. It was a great place to be. But then, a fallen angel intervened. And that's another story on its own. And the first human beings created by God in his image for relationship with him. That's why he created us, to have a relationship. Disobeyed and they rebelled against God. And at that point, everything changed. Everything changed. And the consequences continue, the repercussions continue throughout history to this very day. They're there to be seen. That's why the world is like it is today. Wars, murder, lies, adultery. The whole world um, is groaning under the weight of sin. Pollution, man created, is killing our planet. God said the whole world is groaning under the weight of sin. And you know, people ask, why does God allow evil and suffering if he's all-powerful and loving. And um, the few Sunland supporters who were at the game yesterday uh, would have seen and couldn't, you couldn't fail to be heartbroken seeing young Bradley, this young boy with neuroblastoma, suffering and was carried out under the pitch. And despite his pain by Jermaine Defoe and a bond has built between them and, and the whole region has kind of, you know, come together to help support him and the family. But it's terminal, and he's going to die. A young boy is going to die, and he's going to die through suffering. 
So people will, will look at that and say, how can there be a loving God that allows this to happen? And you know, I'm not pretending that I've got all the answers. But we see things from our perspective. We see things in terms of time uh, and our short lifespan. And if that's all there is, then it's a tragedy that there, are, that there is death and that it comes with pain and it can take young children. But you see, God says, this is not what it's all about. There is eternity to consider and there is a place for you where there will be no suffering and no more pain. And young Bradley will be taken to heaven. He will be free of his pain. So I would turn around that question. Why does God allow evil and suffering if he's all-powerful and loving? And ask, why does a loving God who demands justice allow the world to continue and instead does not obliterate us all? Why does he put up with it? I was going to bring me, me mom's fruit bowl today and, and use it as a different kind of um, analogy. Uh, I've got this fruit bowl that I made when I was 13 years old. And, and I made it for me mom and she loved it because I'd made it for her. And it was her prized possession and she'd have it on the dining table you know, for all of her life. And I have that bowl now. And I just thought, imagine if someone came along into me mom's house and, and poured a load of rubbish uh, and, and started scratching the surface and began to damage and destroy it. You know, my reaction would be to get them and to punish them most severely, shall we say. <clears throat> and it's a bit like that. God has his prized possession and he sees it being destroyed. He sees it being damaged. He sees us being damaged. And our reaction may be to just wipe them out. But he says, no, no. I'm going to persevere because I want them all to come to know me. I want them all to be restored. And I can restore that ball. I can make it clean and fresh and new again. And that's what he's going to do. Because he's patient and he's kind. And he does not want that anyone should perish. He knew what giving us free will would lead to. But he had a plan. And that plan is called Jesus Christ. And through him, everyone has a way out from sin and death. John 3.16, the classic verse from the Bible, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. I'm going to read this um, uh, parable now from Matthew 13. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. So let them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Um, I've quite recently got into gardening and weeds, everyone will know, take no nurturing. They don't care what the, the ground's like. They don't care if it rains or shines. The weeds prosper. 
The weeds just grow. They come up all over the place. I can't abide them. And every time I see a weed, I'll pull it up. I went to our Stephen's new house the other day. I'm standing at the front door waiting for him to open it, and I saw some weeds by the path, and I, I bent down, I'm picking them up, I'm pulling them out because I can't stand weeds. <clears throat> and I just thought, you know, sins like that. It's a great parable because sins like that, our sinfulness needs no nurturing. We don't need much encouragement to do wrong things. Yeah? That's the weed. Sin is the weeds in our lives. So then he left the crowd, he went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let, <clears throat> let them hear. The heart and core of Jesus' message was that the kingdom of God would be established on earth. The theme is found throughout the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The historian Michael Grant puts it, every thought and saying of Jesus was directed and subordinated to one single thing, the realization of the kingdom of God upon the earth. This one phrase, kingdom of God, sums up his whole ministry and his whole life's work. You know, Matthew, the book of Matthew alone contains 37 references to the kingdom of God. And together, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, specifically mention God's kingdom 86 times, in addition to other oblique references to it. You see, a kingdom is a place where someone has rule or governance. The same is true of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said in his prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is where God's will is carried out. Say that again. The kingdom of God is where God's will is carried out. And in Psalm 145 and 13, the psalmist speaks of God's kingdom as an everlasting realm that endures throughout all generations. You see, Jesus ushered in the kingdom in a radically unexpected way. He announced that the kingdom had come upon those whom he freed from demons. He taught that the kingdom should be received like a child, and he explained that it belongs to the impoverished. Jesus declared the kingdom of God as a present reality that could be experienced by us, by those he taught, and to whom he ministered. But Jesus' teaching also assumed the kingdom as a future reality. See, when the disciples, when Jesus came, the disciples um, and all the Jews of the time were expecting the Messiah to come as a political and a military ruler who would destroy the Roman Empire, who would destroy all the enemies, and who would rule in the form of an earthly ruler. But Jesus changed their expectations by telling them a parable about a ruler who had to leave before he could return to his kingdom. Jesus came and established his kingdom on earth, but he's had to leave 
before he could return. He described what good and faithful servants could do in the meantime. That's us. Paul spoke of the kingdom as something that could be inherited and that does not perish. And all these are examples to testify to the kingdom of God as a future reality. So to borrow a phrase made popular by George Eldon Ladd, the kingdom of God is already not yet. God's kingdom has a dual dimension to it. And Jesus initiated the kingdom on earth. And wherever God's will is carried out, the kingdom is a reality. But you see, the kingdom of God has not been fully manifested. It wasn't fully manifested in Jesus' day. And it certainly hasn't been fully manifested in ours yet. We do not yet live in a world where God's will is a complete reality. And we feel the tension of experiencing God's kingdom in our lives and communities before it's been fully realized. We see it in part, we experience it in part, but not fully. We still see unbelief. We still see brokenness and sin. And that tells us that God's will is not yet fully expressed. You know, I had apologized to a couple of Morgan's friends yesterday because yesterday morning they came to our house and I was in one surly, rotten, miserable, insular mood because of something that had happened to me. And it was something that I'd read about someone close to me and it really churned me up. And it kind of destroyed my spirit and it, made, it brought out all the, the wrong things in me. All, all the feelings that I detest about myself came to the surface but you know, that's just, it's, it's just an expression of the tension that there is between the reality of God's kingdom. I believe that I'm saved and I have the Holy Spirit in me, yet these things can still come out of me and I can still behave in ways that I hate. That's the tension that we all feel in the current uh, time. But many of us, we neglect to focus on the kingdom as a present reality and we focus instead on this future reality <clears throat> of heaven, of getting to heaven. But that focus can easily sever that relationship between the Christian life and the life here and now. When Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he asked that God would bring the experience of heaven to earth. Through Jesus, God's reign, rule, and power are available to us today, not just in the distant future. And the problem that I have and many of us have as Christians is that we don't really want to focus on that. We don't really want it that badly enough. We're not willing to give up everything and to put Jesus in control. We want to hang on to that control and we still want to have our own way. And that's the tension. God says, my way. And we say, no, my way. And it's pulling against each other. Uh, I was impressed by Curtis's testimony when he, when he told me how Having met God, he wanted to be all out for God. He wanted to do what God wants to do. He wanted to be where God wants him to be. Um, <clears throat> and if every Christian were like that, we would change the world. So the present reality of the kingdom of God should prompt us to examine our lives and ask what areas we've not yet surrendered to God's rule. It's a question for all of us. What areas of our lives have we not surrendered to God's rule? And on a bigger level, the notion of God's kingdom should lead us to examine both our, our local communities and the global community and ask what lies outside of God's desires. Where are people not being treated with the dignity 
and honor they deserve as God's image bearers. So as we anticipate the time when all things will be made fully new, read Revelation 21, 4 and 5 to get an insight into what God's going to do. We can actively participate in the kingdom of God now. As we surrender to the reign of God, we will begin to experience the kingdom of God now as God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. God doesn't allow us to foresee the chronological details of his plan of salvation, but the outcome is certain. God will do what he has promised. This was the crucial lesson for Christians in the early decades of the church, and it remains an essential lesson for us today. We must retain our faith in the kingdom of God. God will do what he has promised. He will send Jesus Christ, who will return to the earth, this time in triumph. You know, the prophets of the Old Testament, under God's inspiration, envisioned an everlasting kingdom. Jesus confirmed its longevity, adding that it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's Luke chapter 12. And then the Apostle Peter, who had expected to see God's kingdom when he lived, wrote before he died that an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, you know, life, life brings many disappointments, trials, and testing our faith in God's promises. In the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, Jesus identified three areas of temptation for us as his people. These are the things we encounter. The work of the devil, the temptation to covet material possessions, and personal trials. I keep telling myself that I don't covet material possessions. But now I've got a Maserati, and I'm not happy that it hasn't got um, DAB and heated seats. So I'm thinking about getting a, di- a different car. What's that all about? You know, I delude myself at times into thinking that I'm fully following Christ and that I am committed and sold out to Christ. And then I look at my life, um, not through rose-tinted glasses, and I think, you know, you're kidding yourself, Terry. You're not. You're so fully into the world. You've got this foot over here in the world that's keeping you behind. It's stopping you from, being, from fully realizing what God's got in store for you. And you know, in my heart, I really want everything that God's got in store for me. I want to do what God wants me to do. But I find myself struggling with the things of the world and the ways of the world. Um, I wasn't going to say that. I guess that's just God convicting me even more um, as I stand here today. You know, it's a real privilege to be able to share from the platform. But every time I do and I prepare stuff to share, uh, it's like God's having another little go at me. You know, in the nicest possible way. Look at yourself, Terry. Look at your life. What is it all about? Are you going to do what I want you to do for the next however many years you've got? Or are you going to keep on kind of just dipping your toe in now and then, yeah? Sticking with the things that give you comfort in the world, and then every now and then stepping out for me when you feel it's comfortable to do so. That's, that's the reality. That's, that's my reality, I'm afraid. That's why people like 
Curtis, encourage me when I see a young man like him. Um, and of course, when I was his age, I wanted to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But I haven't got the bone structure or the dedication to get anywhere near Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then I see Curtis, who kind of crushed me one day when he said, well, I went to the gym, I started lifting weights, and I just kind of blew up. <laughs> I just got big. You know, how do you do that? Anyway, um, but it's great to see someone who the world would see as a kind of macho man coming under the rule and anointing of Christ and be willing to give, give it all up and seeing no value in it. So I want to encourage him. Um, so maybe we'll get the band back up. It's five past twelve. Um, I'll, I'll conclude as they come, and then if we've got time, when they've done a couple of songs, maybe people can orderly go and get your tea and coffees. And if you want to come back to your seats or sit down, I'll get Curtis back up, and we'll go to the end of his story. So, like I was saying, you know, every every Christian has to confront all of these things. Um, at times. They tempt us and they distract us from what should be our primary focus in life, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The Apostle Paul exhorted converts in his time saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Those who remain faithful will look beyond their distresses and put their confidence in God. So I guess our challenge today is to try in whatever way we can to make the kingdom of God a bit more of a reality in our own lives and in the lives of others. And Jesus is our example. Jesus, for the men, is the ultimate tough guy. He had a physical and mental toughness. He spent three years hiking, camping, and fishing with 12 guys. And he took seven-inch nails through his hands and feet for you and for me. Now, that's a tough guy. But for the ladies, Jesus is a loving father who will care for you tenderly, who will look after your every need, who will be there for you in the tough times. This man, Jesus, is the one we should follow. He's our example. So let's commit to making a difference in our own lives and in the world where we have influence to his glory. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.